Greetings, free people. Uh, you know, often we run the risk of imagining that other people see things the way we do. And the reality is that they just don't. A free society must have a way for everyone to exercise their freedom. And, you know, freedom of expression is the natural consequence of freedom of thought. And you know, what's interesting, in the act and process of conducting a cordial conversation around things that divide us, imagine all who are honestly mistaken will be won back to the truth. You know, even when Lucifer sinned and challenged God's authority, the Bible records that there was polemos in heaven. Polemos, where we get the word polemics, a debate, a discussion. Apparently, more than half of the angels had sided with Lucifer. But after that opening polemos, when Lucifer rejected clear, glaring evidence against his suppositions, his supporters fell to a third. Today, we have two very interesting gentlemen. All I can say is, hear ye them. And uh, my sincere hope is that you perceive the truth. Karibuni sana. Uh, today we have two elders, Elder Boya Orinda and Elder Elvis Abeg, Abenga. Sorry. Kasma <laughs> um, will join us later, uh, but we are here with Effie, ready to interrogate these two men uh, on, on this topic. So as you've seen in the poster, we'll be talking about free will. And um, what's interesting is how this came about. Um, both uh, Mboya and, and, uh, and Elvis are friends of mine on Facebook. I had seen their conversation. It was on the same topic, and I thought this is interesting. Uh, let's platform this conversation and have it for a longer period. But before we get any deeper into it, if you can say hi and the rest can introduce themselves. Hi, this is Effie, and also on behalf of Cosmos, which is very much like you. Uh, looking forward to a uh, fruitful discussion with Elvis and Elder Mboya. Thank you. Thank you, Effie. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, so who are you guys? Uh, Mboya, who are you? Um, my name is Mboya. I go by the Facebook name of Elder Mboya. Let me clarify that as it stands, I am not a church elder. I am an elder in my own right. I am a non-believer. And um, I'm glad to be here. Alright, alright. Uh, Elvis? Hi guys, my name is Elvis Abenga. I am an elder at Lovington SD Church. 
an evangelist, a missionary. Uh, I also believe myself to be God's lawyer, which means I'm always out there to represent God in a, you know in any capacity that I I, I have. I am very uh, blessed that God is giving an opportunity in this forum. I love apologetics and any opportunity to talk about this topic is always very welcome. Thank you. So let's begin. Let's begin with the conversation that was going on on Facebook. Uh, one striking statement that that Boya made, uh, I don't know if he saw this, um, he said that uh, God was responsible for if I'm not wrong, God was responsible for sin. Uh, if we talk about free will, that he gave us free will, uh, and Lucifer used that free will to basically uh, originate sin. So technically, if, if I'm getting you right, the responsibility goes back to whoever gave him free will. Was that the line of reasoning? Well, in, in a sense, yes. Um, so is is it an opportunity for me to explain where i'm coming from yeah or, go ahead go ahead oh okay um first let me state by you start by saying i i am not a believer not in god and not in anything i i know that belief is a way of knowledge by imagination and I choose to know what I know, and I don't know what I don't know. So as we go through discussion, I will stick to what I know and what is knowable. I, I, I am willing to know what is knowable, but I don't know what I don't know, and I don't know what is not knowable. So on, on, on free will, first, there's there's a very there's a very generous de definition or or understanding of what the scope of free will is and and I think that's where the confusion lies. But largely, when we use free will, people usually, especially in the religious or faith context, is usually the ability to choose and to be responsible for the choices we make between good and evil. So it is largely assumed that God has given us the ability to make that choice and to take responsibility for such a choice. And what I was saying and what I would like to say now, perhaps in different and, and more clear uh, words, is that free will first is not, um, it's not an absolute phenomenon such that we cannot say that everyone or every creature has free will and especially humanity we cannot say we have absolute free will because we have been created and we arrive into this world without neutrality biblically speaking by the time you arrive in this world you're not neutral, you're already a sinner. So you are created with a natural um, inclination to sin. You are created with the capacity, a very limited capacity 
to understand and to affect your environment and to make decisions that are entirely within your control. So when we say you have free will, it, it is a bit of stretching it because you are not responsible for the environment. You know, there are so many things that influence your decision-making process. There are genetics that you have no control of. There's the environmental issues. There are psychological conditions that uh, you have no control of. And there are many things within your environment that inform your limitations. So even if you have to make choices, those choices can only reflect the limitations within which you had to work. But largely, your choice to be good or evil to a greater extent is not within your power because you are not in we were not in charge of Lucifer who is more intelligent than us bringing arguments that we had no capacity Adam and Eve had no capacity to handle his level of intelligence the Bible says he was the most intelligent creature so they were put at a disadvantage and whatever choices they made were not fully out of free will there were choices that were built up with a lot of elements that are not within their control. So eventually, the outcome is what God had designed to be. The outcome is not what their choices created. So that's where okay. I'm coming from. Mm. So Elvis, well, well, since he's clarified now his approach to his comment, uh, what do you have to say about that? Thank you, thank you for this. Um, I agree with um, a few of what Eldamboya is, you know, uh, you know, has said. A few statements he said. For instance, when he says that we were born with an inclination to sin, yeah, an inclination to choose, you know, the wrong uh, opposed, as opposed to choosing the right, yeah. But when we're talking about this idea of free will, free will. Just also his definition of free will, I agree, you know, it's, um, sorry, not free will, but his definition of belief, yeah? But um, when we're talking about free will, we are assuming, or what we understand by free will is the ability to choose or to make a choice. So once we start understanding that, it's the ability to make a choice and not just make the choice, but to also, just as Elder Orinda said, to be responsible for that choice. And, you know, by extension, you know, it's it, the consequences that come for that, yeah? Free will, my take on it is that human beings were created with free will. Absolute free will in the sense that, and it's, it's very interesting because there is no power, including God, being almighty in his nature and his power, that can be able to force or, or force a human being to make a choice that the human being did not want to make. And that's the basis of when we talk about free will. Meaning you're given a choice. You're told that, you know, if you do one, this is what will happen. If you do two, this is what will happen. So you make a choice between doing A and knowing that, for instance, like what um, God told Adam and Eve, uh, 
Adam, it's told in the book of Genesis chapter 1:26, the day ye shall eat of this fruit, ye shall surely die. So uh, God, God is giving Adam a choice. He's telling him, you know what? You have a choice to make. I will not force you to eat, to not eat uh, the fruit, but I will also not stop you from eating if you want. God could have the, could have chosen to you know, uproot the tree of knowledge of good and evil you know, from, from the garden, but he did not do that. Yeah. So he gave the choice. So when Adam was taking, we could say Eve was deceived, and we know Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Adam knew what he was doing. When he's holding that fruit, he's, he, has, he has to choose between listening to what God has to say and eat and for not eating or eating and dying. Listening to God uh, and believing, either believing God when God says you shall surely die or believing the serpent when he says you shall not surely die. That is the very basis of free will, the power to choose. And you can only be able to choose when there are options. When you have more than one option, then that's the only point when you can actually say that you can choose. All right, so, so uh, uh, I think that was good for opening statements. Uh, Effie, <laughs> uh, whenever you're set, you can okay. say. Uh, you say the opening statement, but if it's a first setup. No, no, for them. Anyway. For you, you're a co host. <laughs> so, my take on it. I wouldn't say I necessarily disagree with Boyer's sentiments because to some extent they make sense and they're things even I have thought about as I read the Bible and you know those questions that come and you have to take a deep dive in order to be able to answer them. But one thing remains, the moment we understand the concept of free will and at what point does that contest uh, that, that that context crystallized, then I think we will be, you know, further ahead. For me, free will is simply that decision that you have when you're faced with a decision. And I like to say human beings are creatures, human beings are creatures of decisions in that the decisions we make charter a certain path for us. And it's very clear when you do A, this happens when you do B, this happens. And that was laid out the moment the serpent approached Eve and told Eve, God said, if you eat, you'll die. No, you shall not surely die. Eve had the option of believing in, in um, what the devil said or believing in what God had initially told her through the husband Adam because Eve was not given the instructions, it was the husband. So the moment she decided to listen to what the devil said and eat the fruit, that is the point where the free will crystallizes. It's not the fact that she was at a disadvantaged position because what, what, what I realize is what God said, the devil did not come and introduce a new concept. The devil simply came and contradicted what God said. So Eve was faced with a decision of saying, I will go with A or I will go with B. So the moment we are faced with a decision and we choose A or B, that is where free will crystallizes. And whatever you decide, you have to live with, with the consequences. So 
maybe I'll bring this back to Elder Mboya. What is your basis? Because you made a very interesting statement that, hmm, Adam, wait, was it you or was it Elvis? That one of you, that Adam was the one who made the decision. Yes, yes that was me. <laughs> was tricked into it. So is the important factor when it comes to free will the fact that you made the decision or the circumstances in which the decision was made? Maybe I would like to hear from who was who was the one who made that statement? I That's don't know if that was me. Yeah, that was that was me. Okay. So maybe Elvis you can just uh, respond to that. Okay. Um thank you. I, I think um it's a very important question because we're asking ourselves was Eve placed in a position where she knew what she was doing yeah and com as compared to adam yeah remember when we look at the bible when eve took of uh, and i'm uh, by the way i'm i'm only bringing the bible here because uh, elder boya also alluded to the bible yes that's the only reason why we can talk about it uh, but um at what point were their eyes opened and they realized that they, were, that they were naked not after eve ate but after adam did so that already says a few things you know that you know that need a bit of introspection and i guess you know coming from a background of spirit of prophecy we can understand but nonetheless yeah eve takes a fruit Eve has this conversation, and this conversation is with a serpent. Did God say that he shall eat of, of uh, he shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And Eve says, no, God said that he shall not eat of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, because when you eat it, you shall die. So when you, note, when you take note of that statement, you realize that Eve said something that God did not say. God did not say you shall not touch. You shall not touch the fruit. Oh, yeah? But Eve continued to say that, you know what? You shall touch. The God has said, don't touch this fruit because even when you touch it, you will die. And the serpent immediately took advantage of that. And was like, okay, you've already said something that God clearly didn't say. So, And you, you are, he takes it, places the fruit in, in, in her hand. Eve doesn't die, Eve eats the fruit, Eve still doesn't die, doesn't drop dead, eyes still not opened, then goes and use and you know tempts Adam. It's Eve who took the fruit to Adam. So Adam clearly knew what he was doing. He had a choice to make. I've been asked to explain what spirit of prophecy is because I've alluded to it. Sorry, uh, guys, spirit of prophecy is uh, for, for non-Adventists. Uh, it's a compilation of the writings of a very lovely lady called Ellen White who we believe was used by God uh, to send you know, special messages and encouragement and to the church, uh, especially the last day church. That's the basic way of how I'd explain uh, what Spirit of Prophecy really is about. So. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with you, Effie. I don't think we can say that choice was. Well, we can we can. It doesn't really matter. We ask ourselves: 
did Eve have enough information to make the decision she did? And yes, she did. She had the information and even added extra to her and she made her choice. Did Adam have the information of what God had said and in order to make the decision? Yes, he did. So I don't think they were in any disadvantage, both of them. I, I just like to maybe put us into some uh, perspective because my my guess is that sin didn't begin in, in Eden, even from the, like from the biblical. If you're going to use the, the Bible as a source document, uh, sin didn't begin because obviously you won't find uh, let's say atheists talking about sin. You'll find the Bible talking about sin. But the way I see it, it's twofold. Number one, the the thing about free will hits at the heart of the Christian message. Because if we don't have free will, then the whole point of sin and salvation is null and void. Just like the way, uh, okay, let me not go there. We have two lawyers in the house. Something recently was called null and void, but we won't talk about it here. But you see, like that's what the that's what the Christian message becomes. You know, it becomes null and void. And this thing about the question about free will, I think it's it's a question uh, we should all ponder because everything hangs on that balance. If there is no free will, then the whole Christian worldview is a lie, right? As 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 Boya said, we can become. Like him, we can become, you describe yourself as a unbeliever or a non-believer? Yeah, a non-believer. Non, non-believer. All right, yeah. so. Or, or even unbeliever. As, as long as I'm not believing, yeah, I think it's the same thing. Okay, okay. But I, I would think that that would be in respect to, like, let's say, the Christian message. So, and the second part is, I don't think sin began in Eden with the fall of Adam and Eve, even though that's a really interesting place where we can pivot uh, towards understanding how things are today, in order to really, really crack the issue, we might have to talk about the actual origin of sin, which, according to the Bible narrative, is with a being called Lucifer, right? I think that that was even the issue on Facebook as we began, that God created these intelligent beings. That's what the Bible says. Angels we have information about the book of Job and elsewhere, about uh, the other worlds. Um, but he, these intelligent beings were given the gift of free will. So maybe to Apo, to Apo, let's just start with that. Is God responsible for Lucifer's sin? Or if he's not, can you explain that to people? Uh, let me start. Just, I think I'll just take a very few minutes so that Lamboya can also give us his perspective. Huh? First and foremost, yeah, sin can never be explained. Like the origin of sin can never be explained. Just the same way the origin of God, or if he has an origin in the first place, yeah, and you know, all that can never be explained. That these two things are called mysteries, the two great mysteries in the Bible. Yeah? When you read Romans chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible say, calls it the mystery of iniquity. And then when it when apart from the mystery of iniquity, we also have the mystery of godliness, which is found in 1 Timothy 3:16. So clearly these are mysteries 
that we can explore, but we may not really be able to answer the question, how did sin occur in a perfect world? But that being said, the Bible gives us uh, a few, you know, insights. You know, you remove free will and sin dies because sin is the transgression of the law. So there has to be a law first that can be capable of being transgressed by created beings who have the choice of whether or not to transgress it, if I would say so. So you're in the, we, we, we take a journey, we're in heaven, we have Lucifer, perfect being, perfect world, but there is still a law and he has the choice whether to continue keeping the law of God and the harmony of heaven or sinning or not doing that. When he exercised his free will to decide that, no, I want to rebel against the government of God, I don't think God is good, I don't think God is love and all that, and he exercised his free will, God did not strike him dead. He let him exercise and demonstrate what his free will would be, and hence sin came to being. So you remove free will from the equation, no sin is possible. So in a way, it's by adverse inference, if you would say so, by God allowing angels and by extension human beings to have free will, he was creating a world that had a possibility of sinning. And that is why he had to make a plan when that possibility of sinning actually actualized and became sin. All right. I, I would like to respond um, from two standpoints. One, just to address the biblical commentary on free will, and uh, secondly, just the, the science about free will. First, um, let me start from where Elvis has, has uh, dropped it or has ended. If we remove the aspect of free will, then the whole mechanism of the Christian faith phase and um, good news or bad news is that is actually true and that is actually where the whole Christian faith is heading because God is preparing Christians for a time when there will be no free will they, there comes a time when sin will be fully destroyed and so there will be no choice between good and evil so there will be only one way of doing things, and at that point there will be no aspect of free will, and at that point the whole faith will crumble. Let me also state that for, for us to ascertain whether God gave us free will or not, we first must uh, investigate whether God has the power to give free will or not. And, you know, we all agree that you cannot give what you don't have. So question would be, does God himself have a choice between being good or evil? Does God himself have free will? If God has free will, then it is effective that God is good by choice and he is not naturally good. It means Evil is a separate, complete entity outside God, and God has no control of it. 
if God is good by choice, then validate sin as a totally independent entity that God has no control of. He can only choose to, to, to be good or to be evil. But if God is naturally good, it means he has no choice. And if God is naturally good, if, if, if being good is God's nature, then God has no capacity to give what he doesn't have because he has no choice. He's naturally good. He has no choice of giving the choice between good and evil, which he himself doesn't have. So that kind of puts God in a tight place, whichever way you look at it, because free will would have to be um, explained in that when God gives you a choice, there must be um, something to choose from. So even Lucifer, before he sinned, there was a choice. It means the choice to disobey God already existed. Who created that choice so that there's, there's an option to disobey or there's an option to obey? As long as we do not have clarity on who is responsible for the origin of the choice of good and evil, then we cannot say absolutely that God has given free will because at, that, is, that should be where we see the, the original uh, manifestation of free will. And if it cannot be explained at that level, it doesn't matter what other choice people make after that because free will will have never had uh, it will not be accounted for originally. Now, Elvis said that God does not force. I'd like to change, challenge that because there's biblical evidence that God actually has used coercion, that God has actually put people at a disadvantage, you know, sort of holding a gun over your head so that you're only left with the option that he desires. Take an example of a story like Jonah. Jonah was practically forced into and literally swallowed by a fish, compelled to take a boat ride and thrown out into the ocean. Well, he chose the boat ride, but God manipulated the circumstances in the boat that he had to be thrown out, swallowed by a fish, and delivered exactly where God wanted against his will. And so, and there are other examples how God dealt with Pharaoh there was a lot of coercion. God had to bring 10 plagues. First, God had in his heart, so there was no element of free will there. God deliberately engineered his mentality not to agree until after the 10th plague. So, so God intruded and engineers, uh, engineered Pharaoh's response to be a difficult one. At that point, there was no free will for Pharaoh but he was still made to pay for a choice he did not make. God used force, coercion, and put him at a disadvantage using 10 plagues. And there are so many examples in the Bible where God brings difficult situations that compel people to go a direction that otherwise they would have not contemplated. And so even uh, looking at that kind of behavior from the biblical God, we cannot say that God is a propagator of free will. We see force, coercion, and such things. Finally, it is said, and especially from the story of Adam and Eve, and that's a template we use a lot even in, in the contemporary days, that 
you have the information you have been told what you should do you're given a choice between good and evil and so whatever choice you make you are responsible this is why that uh, proposition cannot hold very strongly is because we do not make choices largely out of information most choices we make are subconsciously and they do not depend on the information presented before us they depend on other factors in fact our choices are only 20% scientifically our choices are only 20% influenced by the information we actively um, rationalize most of our choices are influenced by either genetics environmental factors um, other compulsive um, factors that add up to make us more likely to behave and act in a certain way so for example if if your dad was a thief you are already born with the choice of being a thief at a very intricate level that you have no control over you are born with the genes of being a thief so by the time you decided to make a to become a thief it has very little with the information or whether you are told steal or don't steal you are more influenced by your childhood trauma things you had no control about and other influences that add stresses just for example as we talk if you if you if you do your research you you'll see that one out of every five people in the world has a mental disease that compromises their way of judgment I mean Elvis is a lawyer he'll tell you that someone who's legally insane they are, they cannot be admitted for trial because they cannot be assumed to have the mental capacity to admit crime and even when you're trying someone for crime you have to establish if they have a mental capacity within their control to do that crime God has created over 400 million human beings who have no such capacity he surely can't be a god of evil i'll pause there right so before before we move on number two and before we move on kasmo el karibu thank you very much thank you very much i'm happy to join in all right so we're talking about uh free will Uh, let me just restate uh, the previous four points that Dambuya has put. The first point, uh, the first recent point, is that uh, he's tied in the destruction of sin with the destruction of free will. Uh, for example, in eternity, uh, because there is no choice, since sin will be destroyed, uh, then he's extrapolated that therefore there will be no need for free will. Number two. Uh, the second point that he's put is that uh, about God himself having free will, that if if God cannot give what he does not have, and so if if God is giving us free will, then he himself must be in between those choices. But biblically, we know he cannot be tempted with sin, right? So it means then, as he says, that he cannot give that which he does not have. So if God is good by choice, Uh, either God is good by choice or he's just good naturally that that was the phrasing the third point was that God does not force uh, which was a statement by Elvis um, he gave now uh, uh, gave, gave the example of Jonah uh, and God let me say quote unquote forcing him 
to go to to to, to preach to Nineveh, um, and also how it says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. I think we'll have interesting rebuttals on this. Uh, but also the final one is that um, we don't make choices out of information, it's out of environment. So Effi, ulikuwa na mkono. I have I have a child's brain, but this time I've tried not to forget. So I want to just take issue with one statement that God made and allow me to step away from the Bible so that it, it's not a Christian sort of a Christian motivated um, argument. You clearly stated that God has given us we have stated that God has given us free will, right? And this will it's only right if you make a certain decision. And you to you know having a bullet to your head as you make the decision. Allow me just different. Look at typical the typical setup of a state, a government. We have a constitution that governs us, of which uh, I'm a firm believer in the social contract uh, social contract theory. We've surrendered certain rights in order to give them certain protection of the rights. So we have this constitution that governs us as a state and there are certain do's and don'ts. You know, there are certain things you're supposed to do and there are certain things you're not supposed to do. You have a choice, even when there are do's and don'ts, you have a choice of doing the don'ts and no one is going to stop you. But one thing remains, the consequence has to be suffered. Whether you do the deeds or you don't, there has to be consequences for both. If you obey the constitution, well, you're not in any contravention, so you're okay. But if you go against the constitution, then there are repercussions for that. And just because the government has set guidelines on do's and don'ts does not mean that we can blame the government for lawlessness. We cannot then come and say, because you are the ones who set the do's and don'ts, you have set us up so that when we do what we are not supposed to do, we blame you for the lawlessness. So I, I, I tend to find that as a very false argument when you come and translate that to God's kingdom and say that the moment God introduced free will, he produced sin, and therefore it was sin, which as Elvis said, is, you know, a state of lawlessness. Let me put it in down. Then we in turn get to blame God for the lawlessness. I don't think that argument can hold because you do not blame someone for the choices you make yourself. And I asked you a, a question that has bothered me since we began this conversation, and I would just like to get an answer. As Christians, we believe um, free will originates from God. As a non-believer, where does free will originate from? Is it just a creature of nature? Is it just there? Because seemingly, I feel like I have spoken to scientists and they always want to have an explanation for everything. The same way, as Elvis said, we can't explain certain concepts like the origin of God and the origin of sin. Um, I would just like to know what do you attribute as the origin of the 
people were confused teacher of God. And God is not confined to the things he created. God is not confined to time. He is not confined by nature. He defies all that. And he also defies free will in my opinion. So what exactly do you say is the origin of free will if not God? Or okay. the supreme power? I think we'll do that in we'll start with that in part two. We'll answer on that. And then Tengiza Asmuel Pidogo Pia. I hope we may put a joto ya become acclimatized to the discussion. Yeah, my request is that even when we come back, there is that important question uh, that we call it the paradox of free will, yeah, that Elder Orinda asked. Does God have free will? I think we need to ask to answer that question at some point. Yes, yes, we'll I've, I've been writing down the points. I'll bring them back uh, okay. so that we can we can deal with this. So let's just uh, call this a break. Right, so welcome back. This is part two. Now, off on the break, we left off with a question from Effie, who was asking that, you know, as a believer, as a Christian, for example, I believe that free will comes from God, originates from God. And she was asking uh, Elder Mboya, where does his notion of free will, if any at all, where does it come from? Thank you for the question, Effie. I may, I may need an opportunity to quickly comment on something before I answer that question. Allow me to, on your analogy of um, the government and the consequences of you know breaking the laws. You know we cannot compare municipal governments and God because governments don't have the kind of claim about origin being a source of morality and all that. The, the government is is a power that is installed by us. If, if we are to compare God and our governments, then we have to admit that we created God in our own image, just like we create our governments in our own image. In, in that sense, then yes, I would say we cannot blame the government for when we break the law. Because solid, the government, point, solid point. Yeah, so, so because the government does not create us, we create it. Now, um, about the origin of free will, I, 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 I see, and this 
can be easily observed that life is very deterministic and to a certain a certain limited extent there is choice and I'll explain whoever the agency and if at all there was a creating agency but let me start from assuming that there was a creating agency whoever designed life is like someone who designs a smartphone and designs a smartphone which is made of hardware and software and then the software is made up of data and apart from data the software is also made up of algorithm and so you ask me does the phone have a choice on how to be a phone it definitely doesn't the phone did not create the screen the phone did not create the motherboard the phone did not create the buttons the power button and all and all so as far as being the phone is concerned and having its basic functions the phone cannot even decide to switch itself on to that extent everything about the phone is deterministic meaning the designer or the owner is the one who controls it but then you switch on the phone and you give it the ability to perform certain functions you give it an algorithm you give it certain um, artificial intelligence the phone will start executing functions by itself but strictly within the algorithm you set up for example you you check into a location the phone will use a gps and the the ai will read your location and it will start sending you advertisement based on that location now those are decisions you are not making for the phone but those are decisions the phone is making for itself based on the algorithm that you installed it's based on the artificial intelligence that you programmed we are basically the phone to a large extent we have no control of a lot of factors um about our lives but i've seen someone raise their hands maybe let me just listen to what they have to say before i proceed yeah so very briefly on 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 the example that you've just given so this is this this is where and it also ties in in my my humble opinion uh, it ties in with your first uh, answering on the question on what about human laws and how we arrange our governments and all that and that's something i'm very much interested in i write about it in my book as well actually that's the whole point of the book it's talking about um the human history from the point of view of government so the first the first point is i think we can all see maybe you can correct me but we can all see human beings have just been equated to phones right and and so it's like if we follow after this world view there is no intrinsic value in humanity in human beings because with a phone it's there to serve a certain purpose and if we see it like that in that deterministic way in which an inanimate object forget about even like because uh, even you know dogs are animate but something that can't even 
uh, move, we start looking at human beings in nearly the same level of thinking. And and so uh, maybe I can just give caution because Ababu, that was the thinking behind uh, many of the, let me say, first of all, atheistic, like the communist regimes of the 1900s, 20th century, and even uh, Nazi philosophers. This is how they looked at people as as uh, units of production, okay? So it goes into dangerous places philosophically. And because you've removed the, 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 the quality, the thing that makes a human uh, unique, which is something biblically that comes from God. Um, just pivoting back very briefly to how you answer the first question on government, and maybe this is, I know, uh, like we'll, I even think we'll need a lot of time for this one. The idea of government comes from God. Uh, I know you said that, you know, we cannot compare human, like governments, you call it <laughs> municipal authority. <laughs> you know, in Kenya, when you say municipal authority, and the way they are interesting characters over there. But yeah, so as in, as in we cannot compare, let's say, human government and, and God's authority. But the thing is that we can because the idea of government comes from God. And the way I even write about it in the book is that human government is a copy. It's an imperfect copy of divine government. And um, let me just read a verse here from Paul to substantiate that, because this is a doctrine in the Bible, Romans 13 verse 1. Where is going now to be talking about how we're supposed to deal with government? Uh, and the very first verse, he says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So what he means is not that God anointed Hitler to be the nini. What he's saying is the powers. He's, he's talking about that the idea of government comes from God. And as much as we can, we should be subject to them. Why? Because they are there to keep law and order. But where they now step into the first four commandments, where they are now, uh, where Caesar is, is, is trying to take the things of God, over there Christians should stand up and say, hell no. Right? So essentially, uh, maybe just, uh, th th those are my two points. That First of all, the idea of government comes from God. And this is where you have things like, uh, if you read the American Founding Fathers in the Federalist Papers, they mention about the separation of powers. Even recently, you can you can bear me witness with the thing about appointing judges. The whole thing about equality between the branches, because they, okay, the the first nation to do it correctly was U.S. And how they did it was they said, okay, only God can have these three powers in one office, which is uh, making laws interpreting laws and executing laws. And so you have to separate them. And in order to keep them separate, you need to have them equal. You need to balance out the functions and functionalities. So even this whole thing about government, it comes from God. And this is why if we do away, I'm finishing with this, if we do away with, with, the, with the idea of free will and how it ties in into government, then we will not only disregard God's law, eventually we will disregard, we'll disregard man's law, the laws that govern the society of today. Uh, thanks. I would think that 
Mboya's uh, um, sentiment, or the analogy he made of the phone, I disagreed with it in part, but if I look at it, it sort of, I, I, I mean, I, I see the sense in it in the, in, the, in the sense that you create something and then you program it to work a certain way. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm just concerned. Can we, can we clarify how, how wrong that is? Because we were created and then God breathed into us. So um, I, I believe he had a purpose for creating us. Um, and, and yes, he, he had hopes for us. Um, as much as, yes, he would not force us to do, uh, as much as I do not believe that he would force us to do things, he, he sort of had uh, a plan. So when he was creating us, uh, I would, as much as, yes, it is cheapening, I would totally understand it if a human being were to explain it to another human being. So I, I, I fail to see where that analogy goes off. All right. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you for the interjections. Um, so I, I would like to just uh, finish my thought line and clarify that my, my analogy is pretty much trying to service the idea of uh, creator creation. It does not mean that I am equating the value of human life to a phone. Just, just like God spoke to Jeremiah and showed Jeremiah the pot and said, I am the potter and you are the, the pot, you know. He, he compared, he used a, a creator creation analogy with an inanimate object. He didn't reduce the value of the life of humanity to, to um, a, a kitchen ornament. So, so what I'm trying to say here is that I'm, I'm trying to answer the question of origin of free will. So I am saying... In our existence, and uh, I don't subscribe to the God creator, God origin kind of thing, but I'm saying whatever source of our design and origin, that source designed us with elements that we have totally no control of. We have no choice. I mean, I do not decide how much, uh, where my blood will flow. I do not decide the number of blood cells I have. I, I have no decision over over the, the hair I have. I have no decision over the size of my ears. I am largely deterministic by, by, by quite, quite a large proportion. And then I have also been designed by whichever agency, I have also been designed with a brain that has capacity to work with or without my choice and i gave you an example that there are um i like what Effie is saying actually and i think it is true that the, the we we were the examiner designed us to fail and i can prove that because we were given more capacity to fail than to succeed right from birth but uh, let me not chase that rabbit we were designed with a brain that has capacity to make decisions that we are both aware of and decisions we are not aware of. That said, there are also other things that influence our decision-making process. And that's why I said, to a large extent, we are what we are in a deterministic way and not in a free will selective way. 
we have circumstances that are both natural and engineered by other people outside us that make us who we are to a large extent. And then there is a small part of the brain called intellect. It's a very small part of the entire brain mechanism. That little percentage called intellect, it has the, the ability to process in a very limited way information presented before it. And so to that extent, our brain delivers that function of analyzing information that is presented before us and we are able to respond to life based on that information. But that is a very small part of who we are and the choices we make. Remember I said some of the choices we make are genetic. We, we, we are who we are. There are scenes we do. We've never even thought and processed them, but we do. Right from creation, we were created with a disadvantage. You are born with inclination, capacity, ability, desire, everything towards you without your consent, without your choice is aligned to sin. And so by the time you fall in sin, you had a very small part to play. So I am trying to say in summary that free will is a natural intuition that does not uh, originate from God as a creator because that whether God has that capacity is not yet validated and there's no evidence for that. But it is a natural intuition which plays a very small percentage of the choices we make. Okay, thank you for, for the opportunity. First and foremost, uh, I, I don't think... Uh, I understand where Lomboya is coming from when it comes to the analogy of the phone. Yeah? But remember that even the phone... There's no scientist, no engineer in the world who has ever successfully created a fully autonomous uh, uh, machine, if I would say. We have these very nice concepts like machine learning, AI, you know, but you realize all these work within a set of parameters, just as Eldamboya has said, which we call an algorithm. In programming, when you're using a programming language, there are some uh, series of commands that you put where you, you chart a path. You say that if the user says one, then you do this. Else if, then do this. Else if, do this. So you already uh, program, the programmer who designed that phone has already set the maximum number of choices that the phone can make under any specific circumstance. The maximum number of choices. That's what that's the basis behind what we call algorithm, yeah? So to that end, we can't compare with human beings because our the power of choice that we have is not yet limited the way it would be in uh, in a in a in a phone, and then Eldamboya also asked a question: Does God Himself have free will? And it's true when He says, "You cannot give that which you do not have." So, 
does God have free will? I'll, I'll bring a new dimension to this by saying, God is love. God is kind. God is all these nice things that um, God has a, a whole different, you know, this character. The goodness of God is not as much about free will as it is about character. I'll say that again. The goodness of God is not about free will as much as it is about character. L let me explain it like this. Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes from what the Bible tells us. He comes and he is um, tempted by God, by Satan. And Satan, let's look at the first thing that he does here. Yeah? Satan gives Christ an option. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What is Satan actually doing? Satan is giving Jesus Christ, being God, a choice to make. He's giving God a, cho a choice to make. So if Jesus did not have a choice then we would be able to say that if he did not have free will, then he would simply have decided not to, uh, you know, either way, either to choose to just agree and change the stones into, into bread and eat, or decide to, you know, rebuff Satan, and that would even not be a temptation. If Jesus Christ did not have the possibility of sinning if he did not have free will then he would not have the possibility to sin but it's because he had free will and the power to make choice and satan knew that that that's the reason why he actually that that that's the only way temptation made sense satan would never have bothered to tempt jesus christ if jesus did not have the power to choose between uh, you know sticking to the plan of redemption or sinning so Jesus did have free will, and Jesus is God. And we were created in the image and likeness of God. So by extension, that tells us that if we have free will right now, then Jesus Christ actually did have free will, and we have free will currently. And remember the book of Hebrews tells us, if we're using the Bible, that Jesus Christ was tempted in every manner as we are, yet without sin meaning he chose not to sin. So that's the aspect about, and Kasmuel asked a question about whether free will is a part of God's character. I'll say there can be no love if there is no free will. Let me, let me re repeat that. Love ceases to exist eh, when there is no free will. If I walk out there and... I find someone, and I'm using this just as as an uh, as an uh, explanation for explanation purpose. I kidnap somebody from the street. I put a gun to them, and I tell them, "Love me." This person can say, "Okay, you've put a gun on your on my head, so yes, I, I will wash your clothes. I will spend time with you. 
I'll do all these nice things that you want me to do, but does that person really love? No, they don't, because they do not have a choice. I have put a gun on their head to do that. But when I meet someone the way I met my wife and try to inculcate and bring in and show my wife uh, who I really am and then, you know, get her to love me, you know, then she's she comes and she takes care of me. I was in hospital the other day and my wife was taking care of me, not because she was forced. She had a choice not to, but she was taking care of me because of love. That is what free will is all about. The more, and that is why it's so important for God. Even an Elder Mboya had, I, in my last one minute, Elder Mboya said something about heaven, that we know at, that we're heading to a space where we will not have free will because there'll be no there won't be seen anymore so we will all have only one way to to do things i disagree with that if there's ever going to be a place where we can fulfill our greatest desires it would be in heaven because our desires will be in so much harmony with god's desire that it it really wouldn't look so much that we are doing god's desire but as much as we are doing our own desire because at that point we will be in heaven not because we did not have a choice but because we loved god and we understood and accepted his love to such an extent that we are there there is nobody who will be forced to be in heaven okay so uh just a small rebuttal from uh, eldamboya maybe a minute and a half um okay it's a loaded one let me try make use of the minute and a half i agree with what uh, from where elvis began that um the the person who programs the phone he gives it a very limited capacity just within the algorithms and that's exactly how humanity is humanity has a very extremely limited capacity of choices we can make from from the day you're born you're told, you're told, even from the Garden of Eden, you're given all these other trees, and then you're told there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right there is limited. You know, you only have two ways to go. Right now, you cannot decide that I want to fly with my own hands and actually do it. No, your free will cannot make you fly no matter how much of it you exercise, because you have not been given the capacity to activate your free will in that decision, in, in that direction. So there are so many things humanity would have wished to have, apart from just choosing between good and evil. We are not given 11, 12, 13, 14 commandments. They're just 10. 10 is a very limited scope, even, even in God's world. 10, I mean, numbers are, are infinite. So in terms of limitation, we are designed we are designed extremely limited and free will can only go so far secondly if god has a choice if if god has a choice then it means he has always had a choice so it means that there's always been an opportunity to be cho to choose between good and evil so it means sin is as eternal as god and therefore, God cannot destroy sin because 
there will be no good and evil to choose from. And even as people are going to heaven, I'm not saying people will be forced to heaven, but once they voluntarily arrive in heaven and sin is destroyed, they will have, like Ilvi says, such a wide array of choices within God's wonderful world. But guess what? It's just one way of doing things, God's way. They will not have the choice to disobey. Only goodness, 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 day and night, goodness, goodness, pleasure. And so at that point, there will be no choice. So if God has a choice, then even him, he will lose it. He's saying that love cannot exist without um, choice. How did God have love when he didn't have a choice? And if he had a choice, oh, sorry, let me let me bring it this way. If, if, if we are going to destroy sin, then we are equally going to destroy love in heaven. Because you admit that love cannot work without the choice to choose between. God wants us to voluntarily choose him. But when he removes that choice, he only leaves us with his will in heaven for eternity, then we cannot love him. We will be fully programmed and powered to work the way we, he wants, which is basically a robot. So here's a case where okay. the transition to heaven is voluntary, but once you arrive there, all that choice is ripped away from you. You are left to do things only one way, and God cannot love you at that point. Because there's no sin, there's no choice of good and evil. And as you say, love is powered by choice. Thank you. Okay, okay. So I think we can just extend this a bit because uh, this point needs to be dealt uh, just quickly. Uh, let me throw in something. I remember Kasmel had something to say. Uh, just before that, you've, you know, when you talk about free choice and about if you wanted 50 commandments or whatever, you see, the thing about free choice is not discounting the reality of certain deterministic processes. The whole idea about law uh, is actually, let me, do I have it here? Yes. So, okay, this is about the legislature and processes. And he's saying that that a law, it's, 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 something, it's, it's something set up in advance, which anticipates a certain reality or a certain it's it's supposed to govern a certain behavior let's say if a law from parliament etc right but it it determines that a certain behavior will be correct and a certain other behavior will be uh incorrect right and so it's not like when we even in christianity for example we have the 10 commandments which are laws and they there are certain processes for example, you cannot start, you cannot desire to, you cannot say that because I can't eat from uh, my ears that I don't have free will. Nelio, like, because you mentioned about humans wanting to fly and having wings. That's not a question of free will. Free will has to do with morality, which has to do with the choice between right and wrong. And, and so you cannot have free will in everything because there are certain things according to the laws of nature that have to take their processes. So if you're going to talk about free will, we have to limit it to, because what is morality? What is uh, moral? It's the ch it's the choice between that which is right and that which is wrong. And maybe one day we'll get to 
talk about morality deep and very quickly just about sin being eternal uh, for me many sumbua sana because how how will when it says god will destroy sin right for eternity it will never exist has sin existed uh, ever since there was and, and i cover this in the first few chapters of the book is that sin mathematically existed you see uh, it's not until lucifer actually sinned chose because he was the first creature to actually do that that now sin moved from uh, what i call the etymological world which is existing only in name and it moved into actual reality and so this is why you didn't have death because remember the wages of sin is death right you didn't have death before uh, lucifer's sin so everything like it is it possible that i can i can marry five women yes it's possible but the possibility of that does not mean that that is the actual reality that that actually exists right so we have to differentiate between etymological existence uh and actual reality in terms of existence so yes sin as a mathematical possibility existed but it only now truly came into existence when lucifer um it it moved from the world of unreality to the world of reality when lucifer sinned and that particular action it was his own free will he used it to do that so and and this is why he originated sin yeah so uh, and just one final thing alafu kas alafu efi uh god responds to sin even as a concept well okay so here's the thing when 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 how will god secure you see the whole thing about salvation is how does god secure uh the universe from sin he could have killed lucifer when this thing came out when it moved from the possibility has always existed but the possibility of something is not the reality of something so it has to someone had to exercise their free will to make that change and that's that's why lucifer is to be blamed because he's the only one why wasn't gabriel the one who who is to be blamed why wasn't anyone else it's because lucifer is the one who who, who made the decision let me just uh put out the final one about eternity is that just as elvis has said that will for those who will be in heaven are those who love him right and love his appearing and 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 so uh, the people who who make it are the people who in fact will be comfortable there <laughs> living with god for eternity and how it is is that god he wants to secure the universe from this virus called sin and he has to produce a people who through their free will have developed character and this is why i agree completely with the aspect of uh, with kasmel's question that they, they would have acquired a character which will uh, forever secure the universe against sin even though still they have the free will they will still have the free will but because they love god so much and they have gone through remember how they sing in revelation they've gone through the the beast and his mark and all this tribulation period and they come out of it purified and so these people they are forever secured because they have developed that character they're forever secured from from sin and they will 
by their own choice have developed a character which will enable them to keep on choosing that which is good. And this is how God preserves both free will and the, the universe from sin. So I think I've overspoken there as a host. Cass, go ahead. Uh, if we we were to think of of sin and 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 or its lack thereof uh, in the new in the new heaven and earth as a lack of free will, then I think that might be uh, a bit flawed in this sense. For you to make eternity, um, if you subscribe to the faith that we do, you have to make a choice. And your choice is gonna, um, which comes freely. You choose to either make eternity or not. So if you do, you it's not God who eliminates the possibility of future sin. I think we consciously choose to do so. And uh, now my my confusion because I truly appreciate the asking of high quality questions is um, at first I was thinking, then what happens if we remember at some point in time, how sin felt like or how it, uh, what what it is, uh, then want to do it, will we still be allowed or as, 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 um, as elders put, as, as, as the boy has put on the chat, that then there could be a possibility of another sin revolution? I think not because in part of choosing eternity, our characters are transformed. Uh, so we give up, we willingly give up uh, certain things, um, uh, certain, I, I wouldn't want to call them freedoms or liberties, but we freely, by the use of our free will, give up uh, our propensity to sin. That's why we are transformed and our character is developed into God's likeness. That's how I would look at it. It's not a curtailing of free will per se. It's just that our free will has led us to choose differently. Just a way, for example, if, uh, as we do right now, um, we eat uh, certain foods and then we fall sick. And then we, it's recommended to us. We, we are given a choice. We're told that if you continue eating this food, this is what's going to happen. And if you don't, then this would happen. So we willingly decide we're not going to eat this kind of food. I'm not going to put oil or fats in my food, or I'm not going to take sugar, stuff like that. And we have that choice to continue. But now the difference with this one is we willingly give up this old way of life and the thinking of sin. So if we, I think what would bring a problem, what, what's lost in translation or is the fact that we do not quite agree on the the kind of the the, the supreme being. So we, um, for example, because as a Christian, I would look at it and say, that is not a curtailment of my free will because I, I totally give up the old man and I'm transformed and made it likeness of God such that even in my free will, um, in my new free will, after giving up part of what I've given up, sin is not an option. Okay, maybe okay. let me come in a little bit. And <laughs> I'm seeing Elvis has posted something really interesting. Elvis. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. But, okay. I was I was listening to 
Moya and I must admit equating God's love to sin or hinging his love on our sinfulness. I, I am a Christian, but okay, that argument was brilliant. <laughs> but here, here, here is my take on it. You cannot peg God's love on sin because God loves us regardless, with or without sin. The only thing that stands in the way is us making that decision of loving him back. Whether you sin or not, he still loves us. That is why Jesus was able to dine with prostitutes. That is why Jesus was able to dine with tax collectors and people who are oppressing uh, the citizens. That is why Jesus was able to hang out with the worst of the worst, you name it. But that love is the constant. You know, you can find X, you can find Y, but there's that constant, which is love. And that is why even his Ten Commandments are founded on that principle of love. Meaning, whether whatever comes, whether it's because, whether, whether we sin, whether we love him back, whether we choose to disobey him or whatever, that love remains constant. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, the reason why I say they're founded on love, I think, I think that's something we all understand. It's love for God and then love for man. It's vertical and horizontal. It's that simple. And if we can simply apply that concept, the moment you love someone or you love something, you will not do anything to harm it. So yes, as much as you have free will, you can choose to harm the person you love. Let me just use the example that Elvis brought. You can choose to harm the person you love or you can choose not to hurt that person that you love. Your decision will be based on love. And you cannot say because you love them, you no longer have free will. You have the will to hurt them or not to hurt them. But because of this one principle at the back of your mind, you choose not to. And that is the same thing with our lives with God. When God created us, he has given us free will. We cannot dispute that. Okay, we might dispute, but that's just my standpoint. That's from where I stand. That's how I see it. We, he loves us. And he created us and made us in his image. So we have that inherent nature to love. That is why we fall in love. That is why we have children and love them. That is why sometimes we even love things, including money. We just know how to love. But what you choose to do is not negated because you have this love in you. So whether we sin or not sin, God loves us. That love remains constant. And whether we sin or we don't sin, we have the ability to love him. We just do not exercise it. And again, let me just, I, I can't stress this enough. Even in heaven, there'll be free will. And yes, there is a possibility of a revolution. Sikatai, there is a possibility of a sinful revolution again, like what happened before. But what lowers those chances is that the people who will be there are people who have made the conscious decision to love God wholeheartedly and therefore they have made that decision not to do anything that offends God or not to do anything that goes against the rule of God. So at the end of it all, from whichever angle you look at it, it is all pegged on love. So I can't comfortably sit and say God's love is pegged on us sinning. He does not want us to sin so that he can select people he loves like beans. 
you know, it's it's that constant that's already there. I don't know how to put it because words fail me at this point, but it's just a constant. So, so now I'm going to I think we'll we'll do a break and we'll start. Yes, just just very burning before before we, we go for the break. Yeah. I've just typed something, but I just, okay. just kidogo to one minute, yeah? But I'm going to Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. actually, I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear what he has to say about what I'm going to say, yeah? I, I've just given an illustration about jumping off a cliff, yeah? Because if I jump off a cliff today, and I did not know that jumping off cliffs gets people hurt or broken or whatever it is, I jump, I get broken. I exercised my choice and my freedom on whether to jump off a cliff or not. So the next time I get, uh, I, I jump, I get hurt, I get injured, and you know stuff like that. And I, I, I heal, you know, and I'm, I'm fine. But I've learned my lesson. The second time when I'm walking around and I come across a cliff, I'll still get that temptation. I'll still feel, you know, I have the choice. I can decide to jump again. But because I know that when I jump off this cliff, I'll get hurt, then I, do, I, I won't jump. Doesn't, the fact that I choose not to jump doesn't mean that I now don't have the choice whether to jump or not. But it's because I know the consequences of, of jumping. I think as human beings, a lot of times we want to exercise freedom, to extend the freedom not just to the choices we make, but to the consequences that come from those choices. We have the freedom to choose the choice we make, but we don't have the freedom to choose the consequence of that, that come from the choices that we make. And the fact that a choice doesn't ha does have a consequence that is negative does not mean that it's still not a choice and that now we don't have the freedom of choice. Just that, that's what I wanted to say. Um, I, I wanted to ask, um, uh, I, I, I've forgotten what I wanted to ask. So let me just respond to Elvis. Um, the option to jump over a cliff, that act of jumping over a cliff is, is sin. God promises that there will be no more jumping over a cliff. So if you're saying that that choice will be there, you and God need to make up your mind who is right. Secondly, sin has no consequences. There is absolutely no consequence of sin. There is punishment for sin. Punishment is not a consequence. Pa punishment is a very selective reaction. Because a consequence is a natural occurrence of equal force, equal reaction. It is repeatable, it is measurable, it is, you cannot alter, like if, if I apply this amount of force against a glass, it will break. Every time I do that, it will break without fail. That is a consequence of using that force against that glass. But if you say that someone steals your pen, and they go to prison. That is not a consequence. That is my selective reaction to their act because I could have as well added them another pen. 
I could have as well given them a shot and let them go. So let's be clear. Death is not a consequence of sin. Death is punishment. It is selective. God has a choice to let you live even as a sinner. And just like Jesus got along very well with sinners, God has a choice to let sinners live and love them and get along with them. And so what we call consequences, I don't see them as consequences. I see them as God's selective choices and especially very full of um, hatred and, and displeasure towards sinners, but they are not consequences. You can prove this from the Bible, from how God has handled different scenarios. There's never a standard response to sin. Finally, I've remembered what I wanted to ask um, Effie. W what about those people? Because, because we keep talking about choice. Choice will be in heaven by choice. We'll end up, everything will be there by choice. What about those people? And we have millions of them that have been created by God, supposedly, who have no choice. We have people who are born with, with, with brain conditions that actually leave them, they live like a vegetable, or they live impulsively all their lives without making conscious decisions. They cannot rationalize. And, and you know, there are so many neurological conditions that make people end up there. Uh, we can have the answer now or later. Thank you. All right, thanks. So, uh, as you've seen, I've noted down some of the key points we need to deal with. Let's take a break, break and then we'll start with Kasmael. So, Cass, go ahead. Third and final. All right. So, uh, in the previous, just before we took the break, uh, Elder Moya asked Effie a question, which got me thinking. Um, and and he asked, um, what happens to the people who do not have choice? The people who are born uh, without, um, like, with mental issues. And I even want to extrapolate that further. If we are Christians, then uh, I want to, what happens to the babies who die? 
um, even even before they, they they can think. What happens to the kids that are aborted? Um, do those people have a choice? So do they make heaven or they don't? If they do, then it means we're in trouble with the criteria of getting to heaven. If they don't, then it means it's unfair. So, and we find many sects of uh, our Christian belief, it's, we, we believe that the only way to go to heaven is through um, ultimate uh, and absolute belief and uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And we also believe that um, the gospel has reached everybody. Then we we also believe that the people who like, like some people reject the gospel. I, I don't know if 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 so far that's correct because I I can't continue if we disagree with that. As a Christian, I'm just looking at it because that's the only way I can look at it. Uh, okay, yeah, and then there's people who never had to hear or believe the gospel. And, and I'm thinking, um, so what happens, for example, to the people who had the gospel but rejected it because it was presented to them wrongly? I'm just extrapolating Eldon Boyer's question. Um, for example, people who were taken up on, on the slave ship and they realized that, uh, and, and the people who came to their uh, to their village raped their, their women and they, their parents and killed children. And now at some point they got converted and this person hasn't had that thing. So what happens to those people? And I. And this is gonna like be such a huge tangent. And I realized that only two can work at at a certain at a particular time because and so for us to uh, to 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 see whether these other groups are gonna be taken care of, like the people who have no choice, people who are mentally incapable. For example, you know there could be someone who uh, and we've seen these that the gospel the father could be a church pastor but then they are they're mentally unable to understand that gospel so they don't accept it not because they do not want or want to but because they just can't understand it so yeah so for those classes i i was doing a bit of reading and i just want to throw this as a as a, as a curveball and and so that people think about it i saw someone present a very strange idea an idea of post more post-mortem opportunity and i wouldn't say anything about it i'm just putting that word out there so that it's because we have to like you go down that rabbit hole try and think about it try and see debunk it or not for because if we are going to believe i need we need to be to know why we are believing the way we are believing and the whole reason we're having this podcast is because we want to learn how to ask high quality questions right yeah so thank you yeah, can I can I have a go at just a bit of that? Uh, you've expanded his question, his fourth question, uh, and there are things there I think I can I can pin quickly. So, uh, yeah, with regard to people who, uh, let's say, never had the opportunity to hear the gospel, even to understand it, maybe as you say, it was presented in a in a very unchristian manner. <laughs> let's say, then, uh, you know, Paul talks about. Uh, in Romans chapter two, uh, about uh, the the Gentile, the Jews, and you know, in in the Christian age, spiritually, the Jews are the believers in Christ, right? The the ones who are of the seed of Abraham, the father of faith. And so uh, he's saying that those they're those who uh, actually let me just read it for you. Two. Verse twelve, he says, "For as many as have sinned outside the law, shall perish." 
outside the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And so he's making a distinction there between those who understand and know the law and the gospel uh, and those who don't. And in fact, in the previous chapter, he had given, he said this, that um, when he's talking now about how the Gentiles became Gentiles, how they, they failed and they, they sought to forget God, he says in verse 19, chapter 1 of Romans, he's saying, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And what Paul is saying is that the, the, the people who have never had the gospel, the people who are Hindus, the people who they grew up Muslims, whatever it is that they grew up in. But God is saying, you see, there's, there's, a, there's a part of the Ten Commandments which you can arrive at through uh, what Effie and, and, and Abenga might, might appreciate as the way you come up to natural law, as in through human reasoning alone. For example, I don't, I don't want to be killed, okay? Like, I'm okay, I don't have a depression issues, so I don't want to be killed. And if we extrapolate that to you, I would understand in a reciprocate manner that I you you also don't want to be killed. And so me killing you, I would know inside myself that that is wrong because I don't want that to happen. I don't want you to sleep with my wife. So why would I do that to you? So there's a part of the Ten Commandments, especially the last six, that you can rationally arrive to. And even more than that, he says that he has put it in them. So they, uh, God even speaks to pagans, by the way, even though they don't acknowledge him. And so this, all of these things, they will be judged in that format, according to what you knew, by intuition and by understanding, and by the voice of God coming to you personally. Is, uh, did, you, did you obey that? And for us who understand the gospel, we'll be judged by the gospel, by according to what we knew. So either way still, there'll be a judgment. And there are those who will be in heaven who never had the name of Christ. But if they could have, they would have, and they are able to demonstrate it in how they live their lives. I don't take so much time uh, about the kids, just very quickly. Do people who, who die as babies, I'm looking for a verse, maybe someone else can speak as I get the verse. Oh, yes. Uh, okay, I, I, I think I've actually forgotten what I was to respond to, but I, I think it was Onesimus who was speaking. how what what? What was it before the whole concept of God being merciful and oh yes, Nimekumbuka. He said God if God has all that power then he can let even sinners live. And I just responded up a chat and it's just that God is as merciful as he is just. God the wages of sin is death. So the moment you make that decision to sin, you know what the outcome is going to be. It's the same way we have the law and we have the penal code. For certain crimes, you know you'll get 25 years, you know you'll get 15 years, you know you'll get a life sentence. In country, other countries, you know you'll get the death sentence. So 
you have all this presented before you and therefore when you make a decision you know very well what the outcome is and just because god loves you doesn't mean you can escape the consequences the consequences are not his retaliation because he doesn't love you the consequences are simply uh, as a result of the decision you made and therefore i find it I, i i don't think it's right if we can fault god for giving us choices and giving us consequences when we make certain choices when we do right there is eternal life when you do wrong there is death and we have to accept that because even in um a secular society let's even move away from christianity even in a secular society choices have consequences and that is a fact so it's not because at it's god's government and because he has given the law and what he says is right is right no there is even in natural law actually there is that intrinsic voice that tells you what is wrong and what is right with or without god and whether whether you choose to believe in the higher power or whether you choose not to believe there's again the underlying principle all choices have consequences it's only that in god's kingdom it is very clear the wages of sin it's death and uh following god's commands leads to eternal life so i i find it as a very simple concept actually neza neza because uh, he's asking who creates the natural or spiritual laws it's it's god who creates them and uh just to be me on that you see there are certain parameters in which let me say life and existence really can exist and he has set those parameters and how i try to explain it is 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 that you see he's the source of life right and so life can only exist if it comes from him and you see what sin does because the law is a transcript of his character it means therefore that life can only exist within those parameters which his law has set up and so just like in physical law like as elvis had said if you if you're going to jump off a cliff you're going to get hurt you might even die there are consequences uh if you if if the government says if there is a law uh, maybe uh, whatever the law is uh, maybe trafficking of drugs i think the penalty is is it a life imprisonment i'm not sure but there is there are consequences to breaking laws so he has this is this is the reality it's not something he's putting out he's not going to kill you for disobeying him it is the reality and what lucifer did he stepped out of those bounds he tried to look for life elsewhere but the reality is life can only exist within those bounds and so uh, the natural consequence of sin is death in fact that's why it's called wages you have to work for it you know it's not a gift he's giving you it's it's something that you yourself you're working for that 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 position still does not hold because if falling off a cliff jumping off a cliff the consequence is death that's a natural law that impact that kills you 
and takes the life out of you, it did not create itself. God is the one who made sure that when you jump, there's another setup that is achieved called death. So it is not a natural consequence that just happens. God deliberately programmed that this is the parameter within which I will work with you if I don't work with you within this parameter. And the Bible says it, he will actually destroy the sinners. The Bible is so repetitive about it. So there's, there's no natural consequence there. There is a deliberate choice to destroy the sinner. God is not under some compulsion that if he lets the sinner go free, he'll be in trouble. No, he will actually come with the fire and the brightness of his coming will literally burn the sinner to ash. And that's what he says himself. So, so even biblically, it does not hold when you say that, that death is a consequence of sin. It is not. It is a wage. What is a wage? A wage is a reward. I can choose to pay you 10 bob. I can choose to sell you. I'm not going to pay you. I can choose to give you 1,000 bob. Wages are very uh, flexible. God has defied natural laws so many times. So we cannot say that nature has to take its course just because God is offended. Because there have been so many. I mean, there are people who are put in, into fire. They did not suffer the consequence of being in fire. God actually altered the natural laws to achieve what he wanted. There are people who are put in a lion's den. The consequence of entering a zoo, all of us know. But God made sure it did not happen. There are people who are in the ocean about to drown in a storm. And God actually... So we see God is the one who selectively... One person will enter into a zoo and will be gobbled up by lions. Another person will enter into a zoo and God will choose to hold the mouth of the lion. So, so even biblically, there's no evidence that there's a compulsive natural effect beyond God's help. No. God deliberately chooses to kill people when they sin. So sin is God's reward. It's his choice. It's his reaction. It's, it's not like a glass that that falls down and just cracks without the floor is not reacting to the glass no in god's case he actually deliberately chooses to destroy the sinner okay um i'll tell elder Boya something that is a bit i don't know outrageous if i would say so do you guys realize do you know that the person who will be most affected by the destruction of sinners, quote-unquote, would be God himself. If there's going to be a person in the universe who will be the most heartbroken, it would be uh, God himself. I'll give you an example. Remember the Bible says that called David a man after God's heart. So David is there. He's a king. One of his children, Absalom, decides to rebel against David, yeah? And of course, David, uh, there's a, you know, a whole, you know, sort of confrontation right there. And when uh, David is sending out his army to deal with the rebellion, 
pulls Joab aside and tells Joab, you know what? Please be gentle. That guy is my son. You know, and you know, of course, uh, in, we know how Absalom ended up dying, yeah. And when the news got to David, what? How did David react? He shred his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and you know, went into full gear mourning, because these guys thought by by in fact the messenger thought that by by giving the the king the news that his rebellious son is dead, it would be a good thing, but. On the other hand, this Absalom's death broke David's heart as much as, you know, Absalom had done some very despicable thing, including raping the king's own wives in full glare of the public, yeah? And, you know, generating a, a revolution of its own kind. But David was very heartbroken. So that is the nature of God. You see, if God... Okay, let me tell you something, guys, about something about sin. Sin is the cause of this suffering that we are facing here, yeah? the cause of COVID-19, the cause of all this, uh, you know, death. Before, I, I, I dare say, uh, Elder to Elder Mboya, that before sin came into the world, guys, probably Adam and Eve could jump off cliffs and nothing would happen, Yeah. And when you see, when you read Isaiah, you realize that after sin is gone, some laws of nature, like, you know, if right now if I walk next to a lion, it will eat me. But some, in Isaiah 66, we are seeing a, a story of uh, being told that there will be this, you know, a child who will lead a lion and a lion and a sheep will graze together, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Death did not exist before sin came in. See, with sin, death came in, yeah. So, can you imagine if God said, within his power, which I believe he does, that you know what, sinners, you will live forever. What does that mean? That means that sinners would live forever in misery. Yeah? Sinners would live forever in misery. And God loves sinners so much that he knows that it would break his heart to see the people he loved live forever in a state of absolute wretchedness. So that it becomes, the act of destroying sin becomes an act of mercy, actually. Yeah? And that's why when you, when you look at like Revelation, it says, you know, there are these guys who would actually, actually even before, before you look at Revelation, even throughout the Old Testament, when guys would meet God or meet an angel, you know, their first reaction would be to run away from God, to run away. The first reaction when God came and discovered that man had, and, and you know, confronted Adam and Eve for their sin, what did Adam say? We heard your voice, we heard you, your footsteps on the garden and we ran, we hid ourselves. So sin creates this thing in us that we want to run away from God. Now God is life, yeah? You remember God says in several places in the Bible through Jesus Christ, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Yeah. So if we are running away from life because of sin, what are we running to? That means we're running away to death. We're going to die. So that's what I'm telling. I use that to explain the fact that it's really not punishment for sin. Except, of course, 
I mean, depending on how you look at it, I would say that God has to deal with sin one way or another for misery to be over, yeah? For the world to go back to the way it is. Now, he gives us a choice. We can decide to cling on to the sin and choose sin, and God must say, your will be done. I like the way C.S. Lewis says in some place that, there are only two types of people at the end of the day. When you read the Screwtape letters, Elder, I think maybe I'd written to you sometime, but I'll write it, I'll send it to you if you've not, not read it. The Screwtape letters. says there are two, by C.S. Lewis, yeah? Yeah? He says, there are two types of people at the end of the day. There are people who say to God, your will be done. And then there's a second type of person who will, who God will tell that person, you know what? Your will be done. So God respects people's will, even if it's the will to be away from him. Yeah, And because God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. Where will you run? You know, I remember Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah who was saying, uh, where can I run? If I go to the bottom of the ocean, you are there. If I go to the top of the mountain, if I you know, do all this, you are there. He's omnipresent. So how will God deal with sin, destroy sin, without a collateral damage of destroying the sinner who craves and who has clung to that sin? It becomes very impossible. So that's why, you know, he gives that that uh, that choice, you know, because and, and Onesimus is asking, you know, if God respects people, why wouldn't he let them live with sin? You know, living with sin means there is life and there is sin. God is life. Yeah, God and sin cannot dwell together. God is a, the Bible des describes God as a consuming fire. Yeah, He consumes sin. That's the reason why even in the Old Testament, you know, people would not get into the Holy of Holies because they would die because you know in the sinful nature. When Isaiah first first meet meets with God um you know and he says oh you know I am an, a person of unclean lips uh, and I dwell in the people of unclean lips and all that and same to Jeremiah so God decides you know what I have to come up with a way in which I can make a sinner I can cure man from sin yeah but it needs man's choices so you, 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 he tells us you know what if you walk with me through grace, which is a whole different conversation, maybe we'll have some other time, the operations of grace. And I remember even in the post that led to this, there was a whole conscious, con Elder Boy was asking about sanctification. Are you holy? Is it possible to be holy? If not, you know, and all that. That's an entire conversation we'll have some other time. But when we're talking about sin, God and sin cannot dwell together. Because one is the opposite of the other. The same way light and darkness cannot coexist. Yeah, Good and evil cannot coexist. Now we have religions. By the way, I've been an atheist before. I've been into Eastern religion. We have things like uh, the yin and the yang that says that in every goodness is badness. The badness in goodness, you know, there's black and white, you know, intertwined. Now there's gray in the spiritual world it's something is either good or it's not it, there's no shades shades of gray there's no way we can be sinners 
and live because life the living aspect requires life and the life itself is god the breath of life from god through his spirit and his spirit cannot necessarily live you know cannot you know coexist in sin god is a consuming fire lastly as i finish here yeah, about the creation remember the question we were asking today uh even in the podcast is did god create sin and even as we are talking i think we need to always have that as a center point yeah some things are created or come into existence let me not use creation i'll say come into existence by way of inference for example the bible tells us god created light by their creating light that automatically means there was darkness before then yeah so light think about it is light the opposite of darkness or darkness is not is the opposite of light i'll tell you neither the problem we usually face and even in this conversation is we tend to think of things in opposites some things are not opposites light is not the absence of, is, is not the opposite of darkness darkness is not the opposite of light darkness is the absence of light not the opposite so even when we are thinking about this concept of choice and stuff like that yeah let's not let's move beyond the opposite and look about the law of exclusion when we're talking about law light being the absence it's uh, i mean darkness being the absence of light light is not the absence of darkness because as einstein once said you cannot make darkness darker but you can make light lighter you can increase the light the intensity of light you can increase you reduce the intensity of light but you cannot increase the intensity or reduce the intensity of darkness so that becomes different so when we are talking about whether god why doesn't god you know coexist with sin we are looking at it like that sin is the absence of god god is not the absence of sin think about it like that yeah and digest it for a second yeah so when we are saying that you know we have sin in this presence and then we're telling god you know somehow figure out how you as god being light being love can coexist with sin being darkness in short you're saying let's somehow figure out a way in which light and darkness can exist simultaneously and that is not possible so at one point we have to choose it's either light or darkness it's either god or sin that's what i'd say thank you okay so final statements we are coming to a close to answer if you menyamaza sana we'll finish with our guests but if go ahead and feel free i've noted uh, the the points that needed addressing so if there's something you can say over there as well okay so i i tend to find comfort in looking at scriptures having the nature of god in the back of at the back of my mind 
as opposed to just looking at the actions therein because when you have the nature of god at the back of your mind when you read whatever happens in the bible you see there is actually a basis for them and there's a justification for it and let me just let me just give an example when we all know david was a man after god's heart but david sinned and when he sinned and killed uriah and you know had an affair with the wife god forgave him god indeed forgave david but just because god forgave david doesn't mean that he had to go scot free because of his sin he had to still suffer the consequences of his sin so when i look at it from god's nature i understand his nature of being merciful and his nature of being just similarly i understand god's nature of love which is evident in in the bible when you look at stories across board from genesis to revelation god does not tire from telling us he loves us and he goes beyond just telling us he loves us and shows us so the moment he has given us free will it's because one he understands human beings are not robots human beings are not mobile phones or devices and these are people who will be confined to certain circumstances and will be pushed to make certain decisions but because he has taught us that he's a god of love and it is in his nature we understand that nature of him then whatever we choose to employ our free will on will be hinged on that love that he has shown us and if we are able to show that same love to others to you know to him and to others then when we exercise our free will it will be on the basis of love and therefore the decisions we'll make that we make will be a reflection of that so uh just i'll just answer one question that was posed by mboya whether what if if god respects people's will why doesn't he let them live with sin and and i would choose to respond to it this way sin is not a reflection of god sin is a reflection of our human nature it's not a reflection of god being this person who is so rigid no it's an expression of us being given free will by a loving god and choosing to make the wrong decision that's how I choose to answer it thank you so much great thanks uh kas go ahead in closing i'd like to first of all thank you guys for for coming um i'm so grateful for this opportunity we should never lose sight of uh in whatever we do our research in our our debates and uh as ceremony famously likes to say let the minds clash but never the fists so we need to we've gotten to a point where we need to learn how to ask ourselves ourselves high quality questions and not be afraid of uh, having the things that we hold dearest to us challenged if that will help us to understand better so do your further reading do your further study and uh 
yes uh, let's let's be let's be firm believers of what it is that we believe in and stop being um yeah so because most of us behave as if we've just inherited whatever it is that we believe in i'm so grateful that we get to ask such uh, pertinent questions so to our guests elvis and uh boya god bless you and we we looking forward to having thank you so much for the questions you've asked and for the insights that you guys have uh, have shared with us Right, so I guess it's my turn. So again, thanks guys for coming. Uh, just um, in 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 quick succession, let me do let me hit many birds with with this one stone I have. So on 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 the points that were raised in 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 addition to a bit of what Effie has said as well, the 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 point about humans are created with a natural inclination to sin uh, has been a very hard thing for many people around the world to understand. But I guess when you read the scriptures and understand that that is not how God created us and that Adam originated sin for humankind. Lucifer did it for all creation, but Adam did it for humankind. And what that did is that it it uh, distorted nature, both inside of us and over which we had dominion. This is a bit of what uh, Abenga was saying that, you know, um, you go stand before a lion today, <laughs> uh, you can just tell us nature was not always like that and there are scriptures to show that and even to show that now God will restore nature back to its original state which is in harmony there was no death, there was no pain, etc and so all, all of these things death, pain, etc are a result of sin and that sin also had an effect in our nature as human beings uh, we became weaker physically, uh, mentally, and especially spiritually. We became more susceptible to sin. It's a, it's it's a maybe it's a deeper topic. Maybe we can talk about it some other time. But as much as I can say, that's what I'll say on that. Uh, about God, uh, quote unquote, forcing uh, Jonah to preach or hardening Pharaoh. Uh, just very briefly, I would say this. It's it's a bit of uh, something that we need to explore more. Uh, concerning the interaction between our free will and God's sovereign will, because He is sovereign, you know. And sovereign, what does it mean? It means the person who makes the decision. So it's just something that we need to talk about there. Uh, but in regard to Pharaoh, I would say that God gave him opportunities to do that which is right, and Pharaoh exercised his free will to do that. And so the more opportunity God gave him, the more he cultivated this character of, of disobeying God. That's how, quote-unquote, he was hardened. So in just in, in closing, I would, I would recommend a book by one of the Adventist pioneers. He's called uh, J.H. Wagoner. He's the dad to, to E.J. Wagoner. And he wrote very interesting, like on this topic especially, the book, it, it was a series of articles that he put together in a book. It's called the atonement and explains from a legal perspective, moving out, just rationally explaining uh, the problem of sin, of how God is uh, planning to deal with it. And I mean, for half of the book, he, d he doesn't use verses. So because <laughs> now he's, he's trying to appeal to to try and make people understand it without ever opening a Bible. And so I, I'd recommend that to everyone here and anyone listening. 
All right, I can go first. Um, thank you very much, guys. This is a very unique experience with Christians because I rarely come across people who are willing to engage reason and patience in in conversations that challenge their belief system. This is actually uh, an extremely unique one. Um, my experiences before have not been very pleasant. So a big thumb up that we were able to have this conversation with a lot of grace and a lot of enlightenment for, for each other. So in, in my closing, um, I'd like to say something just to pick up from something you said that the story of Jonah, God had to exercise his sovereign will at some point. And, and that's my enduring argument that God had a so sovereign will. God, if, if God truly has a choice, then there were better ways of doing whatever he has done. But he chose this way. And so um, I, I, don't, I don't feel responsible because he set up everything to work the way it has worked. Actually, before God created the earth, he knew how it's going to play out. And he decided, okay, I will actually let it play out the way it's going to play out. And he did not, um, he did not use his sovereignty to do it in a better way, with less torture, less hatred, less unkindness to children, less suffering. He chose a way that would really torture and make us miserable until we choose what he wants. He had the sovereignty to, to do things differently, but he didn't. You, almost all of you have alluded to a very interesting reality. Using many words, you know, like light cannot exist with darkness. The natural consequence of sin is death. And uh, I can conclusively say from what everyone has said here, is that there is a realm beyond God's reach and beyond, beyond God's control. God has no capacity to exist with darkness. He has no capacity whatsoever to live with sin. Again, he has no capacity to work outside what you guys have been referring to spiritual or natural laws, that only effectively infers that there is a greater limitation that God is subject to. And I admit that. I have no problem with that argument, that God is limited in terms of how much he can interact with sin, how much he can tolerate it, how long he can touch it, and how close to it he can come. There is a greater natural existence that imposes these limitations on God. And that is why I always say that man created God in his own image. If God was truly the Almighty, then these limitations would not tie him down. And um, on free will, Elvis is a lawyer and probably someone else is a lawyer. I did some legal training. The first thing we are taught in criminal law is something called mens rea, which means the deliberate mental element to commit a crime that leads to culpability. Free will is 
something similar to the legal mens rea, where it has to be determined that for you to be culpable, there was a deliberate capacity for you to decide and the intention to engage in that crime. Meaning, if you kill someone without the intention, you cannot be held culpable, even though you have killed. In God's laws, what we say, um, what we call natural laws, not everyone is subjected to equal scrutiny of the men's rare. Because some people will enter there as babies, they will not have made a choice. Some people will be there because they died when they had dementia. Some people will be there because of their epileptic things. Some people will be there. No, there's no precise, clear standard that we can say there was a deliberate actioning of free will. Some people will have been led there by misinformation. So there'll be all sorts of excuses. And that's why I keep saying, if God can create all these provisions to admit people who are not exercising their free will, he can as well decide to tolerate the sinful people, but he chooses not to. But if it's not a matter of choice, then we must admit that God is effectively limited by a higher circumstance. Thank you so much, guys. That's my closing remark. Okay. Uh, for me, in very brief, uh, I'll start from, I mean, thanking the organizers of this, this podcast. It's very, these are conversations we need to be having every once in a while. It's good to ask questions. You know, the Bible, God God is a God who wants us to use our head as well, not just to, to have blind faith. Uh, in fact, I don't think there's anything like blind faith per se. That's why in Isaiah 118, we told, come, let us reason together. God wants us to use our head. So the moment we are in a forum like this and we're trying to use the intellect he's given us to try and understand some of these things, it's we are engaging in a very uh, good good thing we're doing. Uh, just the last thing from what uh, Onesmus said, there's something called intrinsic impossibilities. That's a whole conver conversation for another day. But in a nutshell, uh, guys, there's this very nice book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Problem of Pain. If you want to, to you know, get a bit more in into this topic and why God allows pain and the relationship between God and pain and by extension sin, you know, from a purely logical point of view, I'd highly recommend reading that book. Uh, it's called The Problem of Pain. If you need it in soft copy, I can send it to you guys. But in a nutshell, there's something called intrinsic impossibilities. Impossibilities which are impossibilities because by consequence rather than by choice. In the sense that we can say, for instance, it is impossible for God to sin or to be, you know, to, to sin because God chooses not to sin. It is impossible for God to lie, the Bible says that, <clears throat> because God, by his nature and decision, chooses not to, you know, 
to lie. So there are intrinsic impossibilities and extrinsic impossibilities. Yeah? We do not have a limited God. Our God is omnipotent. He is unlimited. But for instance, if we were to say that God exists, decides today, you know what, I am going to allow sin, I'm going to coexist with sin, that simply means that God is choosing to coexist with suffering to have a universe that's, you know, sin-laden and all that. Remember, the moment a guy, um, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the first thing they, Satan told them to do or inspired them was to run and try and get the tree of life. But when they got there, they found that God had sealed it through angels, you know, with a flaming sword. Because Satan's plan was that man eats the fruit of tree, fruit of knowledge of good, man sins, rushes and eats the tree of life, and lives forever in sin. And God didn't knew that living forever in sin, immortalizing sin, meant immortalizing suffering. And that is something God decided by his nature and goodness, being goodness and all that, he would not have for his world. So we have an omnipotent God. And I would also just want to say that at the end of the day, let's even assume the very worst, you know, very extreme, that we do not have free will, that we are automated one way or another. I would say God, by his mere fact of him being God, by the mere fact that he is the one who created us, he has the sovereign right to decide about our lives. And I always, when I pray, even in whatever I am, whatever situation, I always tell God, I know you have the sovereign right over my life. You can decide. Today, if you decide I'm dropping dead, let your will be done. I'll not complain and say, oh, no, you know what? I have. I, I, I want to live longer. I, you know, I want to do one, two, three. Because you know why you created me. The potter and the clay, he creates one for one thing and another for another thing. Yeah? So even if he says today that you do not decide to take away his, the free will, which I know he doesn't and he won't, at the end of the day we are his creatures. We owe it to him both by creation and redemption. So that would still be within his purview. But he doesn't do that. Because as we said, love cannot exist and for love to exist in heaven, we must God bless you guys and thank you so much for coming.